Hello, friends, and welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I am Nick, and this is Nick Flanagan Weekly, and one year anniversary is where we're at with this podcast, Nick Flanagan Weekly. Keep saying the name. I don't know why. I guess I want you to really just remember the name. Uh, one year ago, I was basically starting the podcast off. Didn't really know what it was. Was really just uh, having my thoughts on the things I'd been starting to deal with. Uh, recorded on a computer through a Blue Yeti mic in my room, which is the room next to where my mother sleeps. And here I am now, a year later, wondering where did the time go? A lot of stuff has happened in the year. You know, I've been building up my knowledge of uh, things like mental health and, and uh, ADHD resources, uh, reconnecting with my friends, keeping kind of a low profile in town uh, comparatively to before, uh, dealing with tough feelings, dealing with getting on medication, dealing with all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, in the intros I've recorded before, I've always kind of focused on not being sure if I'm doing any better than I was last year at this time. But I do know, sound-wise, the podcast is doing better. And that's the important thing, that you get a relatively proportionate to prior audio quality, pristine product. And I will do a solo episode this weekend. Um, I'm probably going to do two, uh, where I explore the one year later thing a bit more. Uh, but this is an interview episode. This is an episode that is lucky enough to feature the um, punk rocker, uh, graphic novelist, and musician, and actually poster creator, which when we start the interview, you'll see what I'm talking about, uh, Michael DeForge, who is just so great. He's worked on Adventure Time. He's got... Uh, self, uh, he's self-published, he's put his work out on Koyama, he's put his work out on Drawn Quarterly, and I'm currently finishing up uh, his book, Leaving Richard's Valley, which is his most recent, and uh, he's just really amazing, and I think, you know, comics and graphic art, they have a certain sparseness, you know, with the dialogue and the imagery and they, the way they go together, it's there's so much reading in between the lines that you can do with a comic that subtle, in our, impossible to articulate feelings um, can actually be conveyed. And I definitely think Michael does this in his work, but uh, with a lightness and with humor uh, at times and also with a heaviness. So I'm crazy about it. And uh, we sort of come from the same roots a little bit in terms of uh, punk music and, and um, trying to deal with our brains. Uh, in terms of technical skill, I'm going to give that one to Michael. But, uh, you know, it, it's just great to talk to someone whose work you respect and uh, connect on this level. And I'm quite happy with the interview. This really felt like a good one. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to check out Michael, uh, you can go to michael-deforge.com. 
Twitter, Michael underscore DeForge, I think, and, and uh, his Patreon is patreon.com slash Michael DeForge. And if you feel like supporting the podcast, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan, send a little one-time support, join the Patreon. Uh, we have audio clips and uh, episodes where basically we're posting episodes without the call to action that you'll hear in the middle. And uh, there will be bonus episodes. I'm still sorting out the Patreon stuff majorly, but there's already content there for you that, that other people don't have. And, uh, yeah, so here it is. Um, one year since starting the podcast. Here's Do you know when I put that uh, Creep Highway, or I didn't put the Creep Highway video up, like Chart Magazine did or whatever. Mm-hmm. It got some hate. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it had like 200 views, and I oh. still had people being like, this guy's not letting them talk, and I probably wasn't, because I think we were like in the back being silly, basically. I think we together. were like all drinking, and it was... Yeah, it was like hot out. And it was one of those like show... Yeah, I don't think anyone It was came. a day show? Yeah, like... No, it we wasn't playing, that busy. We were playing a record store where the only attendees were people <laughs> trying to browse for records who like did not want to... <laughs> be surprised with punk music and a comedian (laughs) who was probably i think that was one of those shows where i was like gotta write a lot of record jokes yeah (laughs) i saw a father i think that was the one i I don't remember ever playing another record store show but i remember seeing like a father taking his kid outside as soon as we started (laughs) yep i get it i thought you guys were really good enjoyed it yeah and um who is your uh, who is your uh, co-conspirator in in the Creep Highway band? Patrick Kyle. So we haven't yes. played as Creep Highway in a little while, but um, Patrick is still a good friend, and we played together in uh, Moldy. Okay. Band and uh, yeah, great drummer, great cartoonist. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to actually read. I remember reading some of his stuff, grabbing some or taking a look at some of his stuff after that, mm. and I think I'd seen some of your shit before then too. Mm-hmm. And I I did flyers for like your old band in ottawa like when you played right ottawa, i did like right yeah so like we met in ottawa is probably, that possible I'd, probably but like i would have been like 18 or 17 or 16 awesome. even but like yeah like some bumpers show you played i did like one or two bumpers with brutal nights yeah yeah huh and I did one a long or two, time you, ago you played with like aids wolf one show i think you played yeah. with sweet jane's once or twice and definitely those, yeah those posters yeah so wow! Like way, 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 way back. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I so that's where you're from, Ottawa. Yeah. Storied punk history in Ottawa. Kinda. <laughs> I, you know, the first time I ever got zines was in Ottawa. Oh, nice. Yeah, I went to. Uh, I guess my that might have been when my dad got a uh, like award from. He worked for the post office, mm-hmm. and he was honored as like a working artist. For the post office okay which is like super cool yeah that they have that distinction yeah because he's a poet around today too that's, that's i hope cool. so you know who knows i mean they also had christmas parties okay those are long gone sure the guy was santa there's a guy that's sad <laughs> yeah the war on christmas man oh, oh i guess it's a i didn't mean to be like yeah why why is it always a holiday yeah, no, it's party like and not a christmas the, the first thing that happens is you reveal yourself as like an anti-sjw yeah. i can't believe i get, I get it. all right um yeah you're like i can't, anything i say will be used against me from here on out i thought you meant they just canceled all holiday parties like, probably oh, they really did that yeah. i mean who knows yeah um i can't picture postal workers wanting to spend any moment after work like involved in postal work Mm. (laughs) um but anyway 
so we went to Ottawa. They flew us all to Ottawa. It was quite a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I went to Shake Records, which was, you know, one of the record stores. It might have even been before your time. That's definitely before my time. Wow. And there was Birdman. Yeah. And then there was also Shake. Okay. So Shake, I bought a copy of Offspring Smash. Okay. Yeah. And uh, because I'd read about it in like MRR, mm. like Maximum Rock and Roll, because yeah. that was like that weird... It was the right before all those bands broke, so mm-hmm. all of the sort of underground publications like Flipside or Maximum Rock and Roll were like Offspring, Green Day, you know, Face to Face, yeah, Mustard, Plug, sure, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but um, yeah, and I got zines called Montgomery and Steamboat Willie, which were by Rachel Pleat and uh, Zoe Stonic. Oh, shit. And then five R. So I read all about this stuff in five Arlington. Mm. The venue mm-hmm. at that time seemed really cool to me. And one of my favorite bands in Canada was called Shotmaker. I feel like I'm really nerd wearing right now. You are, but it's cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I like, and I like hearing about stuff before my time because I just have this very narrow, like, four year kind of window into stuff that went on. And then, like, I moved. So, what was going on in Ottawa when you started doing stuff uh, in Ottawa? It was like boring. But, um, yeah i know there were, there were everybody knows yeah the secrets out but there were like aspects of the scene that i really liked and like of course I, yeah. uh you know and like a few bands that would stick out and like you know like there's some that you listen back to and like they feel completely unlistenable oh, of course but yeah some, local local rock tends yeah. to have that about it but like i miss you know like i really like those bumper shows and i love club saw like oh yeah i know they just finished renovating that gallery I have, I have no idea what it looks like now but like i, I love club I sauce played so there at some point was it brutal nights i might have Maybe. i don't know or yeah. it was wrong hole or i might have done even comedy there That's, oh, yeah. i've been over to ottawa quite a few times you mm-hmm. know with shows it's like even my old old, old band played benders I oh, think, okay. which was who knows what that even is yeah i think i but might have been bumpers that we played actually years if it's been around for a really long time yeah i remember yeah, and it felt like a big deal in Bumpers. It was a big deal. I mean, Bumpers close. Like, you know, yeah. you're around and then, like, a venue closes. What like, about oh, Zaphod Beeblebrox? Yeah, I mean, I didn't like those. I didn't like that venue as much. But I <laughs> saw my share of shows at, like, <laughs> Zaphod's, Cafe de Cuff, oh, all those yeah. places. Yeah. I mean, this is, I like it when uh, it, my friend uh, Danko Jones, whom I happen to co-host a podcast with, mm-hmm. he uh, name-dropping. I'll just leave that. Sure. <laughs> just just keep it in there um he always kind of tries to avoid deep local referencing oh yeah you know what there's gonna be people listening to this saying i don't know what the hell they're talking about but i love their voice right yeah yeah i kind of remember that a few people too or that sounds like familiar maybe yes someone. i think people will do that they'll say my little uh puny act once played Zaphods, sure mavericks yeah. because and I, I would say to them don't have that opinion about your work it's be proud right so you're in, someone remembers someone knows <laughs> um so you michael deforge you're a man you sure. identify as male i do okay and uh you have been illustrating for some time yep since how old uh, I mean, I've been drawing. You've also been writing. I shouldn't just say, you know, you write and illustrate your comics. You yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no. Uh, I mean, I've been drawing as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, I guess it was, I was probably around like 
20 when I started taking comics really seriously rather huh. than just something that um, I tried to do whenever I had time. I tried to like really dedicate myself to like, like I want to put out like a full length comic. And yeah. Sort of like, like zines here and there. Yeah. I was good. Oh, so you were doing zines before then? Yeah. I've been doing zines since like high school. Yeah. But um, just sort of like, I want to do a full story. Like I was just doing one pager, yeah. six pagers, but yeah. I thought I want to do like 22 pages and mm -hmm. I want to do 40 pages and then I want to do a whole book. So, so you kind of, when you were 20 or 21, you sort of came up with a, a, a plan to gradually uh, fold out what you were trying to do into longer yeah. challenges or whatever. Yeah. Like it wasn't exactly a plan. It was just sort of committing. I think like this happens as an artist where you're like, mm -hmm. um, you commit to just something a bit more ambitious. And um, yeah. I think that was it. That was the shift. It wasn't like it changed my schedule. Like I still needed to <laughs> dishwash the same amount of hours to pay yeah. rent or whatever. You were dishwashing at that time. Yeah. Just sort of odd jobs. Elgin already. street diner. No, <laughs> no, this, I was already in Toronto okay. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved there pretty young. You moved here pretty young. Yeah. I moved here for a school and then I dropped out. OCAD? Uh, no, U of T. I, I, I dropped out of U of T as well. What were you studying? G uh, general art or oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, what did they call that? Like, like just was, humanities yeah sort of. i feel like it was like not liberal arts but it had like a, a name i would i would have settled on it but i was a little bit undone by my my own upbringing i mm. think uh why did you drop out uh i think I, I i i knew i wanted to make comics yeah and uh i was like i wasn't there long it was sort of the same where i was like i'm just studying books yeah you know yeah. but like i uh, i had the intention of studying philosophy mm -hmm. and i thought i can graduate get a philosophy degree and still bust my ass working the same job i'm working yeah. and trying to draw comics on the side or i could just skip those four years or whatever yeah you could and, become a ta yeah right like i just yeah. I, I sort of assume like the end goal is still going to be me working odd jobs to uh, pay for comics and right yeah. <laughs> because every single example of people you had in comics maybe was close to that yeah. right um not that i should lead that uh with that that point yeah i i i did just because what i was taking i thought i already had been provided with a lot of uh the essentials of mm. that which i don't think that was the correct thinking this is a type of thinking i tend to get into where i'm like oh i'll get around this because i know this like my family just had a lot of books had a lot of films like the 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 film course at u of t they were showing all movies in our collection most mm. of which i'd already seen you know so mm. i but I, watching it in a theater and then having a lecture about it would be interesting but we also had film criticism you know mm. here so like a great deal of it. So I just kind of took my chances and here I am back in the house that I grew up in. <laughs> Do you ever think that like if you had gone at a different age, you might have taken something different out of it? Or... Yeah. I, I mean, I don't try, I try not to think of that often. Um, but I, I do think it would have been great to not, to have taken a, a year off or something, you mm -hmm. know, and just kind of sort it all out. What about you? Yeah, sometimes. Like um, I, I sometimes regret like things worked out okay and i think i ended up where i wanted to end up which is like drawing for a living yeah that's like, amazing man yeah it was like a big yeah. thing um like i remember the first time 
it took a while, but the first time where my rent was paid just by me drawing and not yeah. me working another gig, yeah. like it was huge. And um, but uh, I do like it wasn't. I, I liked a lot of what I was studying. I just my head wasn't there. I wanted to do this other thing, and it felt like I kind of had to, mm-hmm. if not choose, decide that like this other thing is a waste of time if it's not contributing to yeah like my art. That was a little bit how I felt too, but I was doing bands at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I suppose it was a bad call. (laughs) I mean, I probably hadn't even started doing comedy by the time I was in. I hadn't. I was 19. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, these bands are fun and people like it. Mm -hmm. Or I can go to U of T early and the teacher is very far away. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem to care whether or not I'm here. None of the students there's too many for us to know each other really. Mm -hmm. So it just was, uh, not for me at the time, but yeah, I I do wish I'd gone to like, you know, uh, even a sounds silly, but like, like a radio broadcasting at at Ryerson, like something where, uh, I could have made sure I knew how to project Mm -hmm. basically. (laughs) I used to really regret not going to art school because I thought like maybe that would have given me like a bigger leg up or something in terms of connecting with people. Or in terms of like skills, um, skills, both the connecting with, I thought the connect, I did feel like I was missing out on some camaraderie, right? That, like everyone got this base level in, in art school. And mm-hmm. then I, uh, I was worried that like, I was, there's a lot of skills that I just don't have. Like, I don't, I can't watercolor. Mm. And I think maybe if I was forced to, I guess I could yeah. choose to do that now, but mm-hmm. like, I kind of regret like not just being forced to learn watercolor first forced to learn how to like etch you know and be have access to those resources i mean this is an issue you know when you kind of go your own and do your own thing you know like i i i don't play any instruments because Mm -hmm. just i had people who were my collaborators in bands just dealing with that you know and i learned some amount of phrasing and then i was just like okay i'll just do this like i and now it's like oh i sure wish i could just have a guitar in the back and strum right. strum a tune you know that's still kind of the best though. like i i used to play guitar yeah you don't I, anymore no i just like singing ah i, just, I hate bringing gear yes I'm also i don't know anything about gear and i hate pretending to the sound guy that i have any clue <laughs> about any of that stuff like the technical <laughs> aspects of so it's like a big load off so okay here's another question so were you in on like message punk message boards and stuff uh, when you were 18, 19? A little bit, yeah. Because I kind of remembered seeing your last name in that context. Yeah. You know. It was mostly me trying to get uh, like gig poster work, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, like I was, I was the kid being like, like I was working for guest lists, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah. Yeah. And what were your, uh, what were your posters like compared to what your work is like now? Uh, I think you can still see a lot of the DNA in there. Like, it was very cartoony. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, I was super influenced by Seri Pop. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think of them as still kind of my, whatever, Magna Carta. That's cool. Yeah. The, uh, the, the art they're... duo out of uh, Montreal. Yeah. And now they, and Yannick, they're through with posters. Cause of AIDS Wolf. Yeah. They're cool, cool, fine artists now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I haven't heard from them in so long but we always uh, they were really great to us and obviously they made an album cover for us you that's know? an awesome cover and yeah. a shirt i think too oh, i don't know if i've seen the shirt well we just it was a shirt of like that cover and i think there was even a shirt of uh 
this sort of picture disc that we have mm-hmm. where it's maybe even in there and it, yeah i mean they do really uh cool color the colors on their work are, are what stand out to me the most in memory yeah um and a lot of your work is uh black and white though that's true i try to switch between um project to project or go from black and white to color because uh I get sick of working one way. So like Leaving Richard's Valley, yeah. the book that preceded it was like super colorful. Is that Brat? Uh, yeah, timeline-wise, though, I finished Brat around the same time I finished Richard's Valley. But I was working on Brat when I started Richard's Valley. I guess. So I've read Brat, and I've read the... I don't know if it was the one before Brat. It was the one... I thought it was so cool. It was the one about the trees. and. The oh, yeah, Big Kids. Yeah. Big Kids. What year was that? That, I guess, was probably three or four years ago now. Okay. I think. And then now I'm just about halfway through Leaving Richards Valley, which I was hoping to finish by the time we met up, but 400 savoring pages. It. I'm savoring <laughs> it. I got it. I got them all out of the library. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, it, I like it, hearing that. I loved that they were available. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's so cool. I get very happy when I see that my books are both in a library and being borrowed from a library. Makes yeah. Me very, very thrilled. Well, I bet it makes your, your bank book pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> that sweet library money yeah <laughs> my dad used to get that and we would every day uh at once a year we'd be able to get a mc mc chicken i mean it's a nice <laughs> surprise that yeah, it's, it's like wonderful. a weird like bonus that you forget you're gonna yeah. well you know i think that that's something about artists and writers like graphical artists and and and, and people like poets is you wind up getting these interesting um honors all you know uh, he had my dad had like uh his papers like the british archives so the national library has them you know oh, it's oh, yeah. like so pretty soon mm. you'll be would, would you part with all your stuff i i've <laughs> actually decided to start working on a will now just because i don't want anyone to look through my stuff <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah <laughs> so sarah pop was an influence um and that for your posters and did they influence your style in general would you say yeah especially uh what elements they i, I mean i i remember a specific email i wrote them mm-hmm. and i i guess i would have been in like probably like, maybe like 13 or 14 when i wrote them first that's and, awesome uh, yeah i saw one of their posters around and it mm-hmm. looked so different from anything i'd seen and like looked so different from what i thought a punk flyer was supposed to look mm-hmm. like which was like you know like black and white collage distress text yeah um and i I sent them this very like fawning email just Mm -hmm. asking like this is great i haven't seen anything like this before Mm -hmm. could you just tell me what else to like basically i'm sure i prayed (laughs) i may i'm very familiar with this 13 year old question i i had similar yeah yeah yeah, like, I'm, I'm sure I didn't phrase it more elegantly than that. Even just like, what <laughs> else is what cool, like. you know? Yeah. And they sent me a really great list. Like they sent me, um, I was already reading comics, but they turned me on to like uh, Fort Thunder, High Water Books, which was um, Tom Devlin's old publisher, and that's what uh, or Tom Devlin used to publish under High Water Books. He's now a editor at Drawn and Quarterly. And, awesome. Um, it was like Mark Bell and oh yeah, Mark Matt Bell's Frankman. killer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all that stuff. And then they, they sent me some older artists like Saul Steinberg, um, uh, Cuban poster artists like Eduardo Munoz Box. And it was just this like cool list of things to like get into. Like, That's Julie great. Say just. Oh, everything. yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And um, my friend, I think, is doing something uh, with Kate Beaton. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, who I, I've enjoyed her work, too. Yeah, Kate's incredible. Yeah. And. Um, Canada seems to have like a pretty good uh, 
history of, of uh, that type of art, whatever you would call it, graphic novels, obviously, mm-hmm. but also Sarah Pop are sort of in this different category, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, then like Royal Art Lodge, which isn't really totally cartoony but it or graphic novelly but it it is yeah. some of some of the people in there i think they're like canadian traditions of design and drawing and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it there are like so many strains but i think a, a lot of it that i um have been attracted to the most are the ones that um uh have like a kind of gentle humor to them and i think of like uh uh someone like mark bell especially yeah. um having that kind of like goofy rhythm to uh-huh. work. Um, yeah um and and i liked uh i was at this uh, quote legendary unquote uh thing or it was legendary to me mm. at, at the Be- the beguiling the comic book store in toronto uh had an anniversary thing in like 1996 97 mm. where they screened ghost world before it came out oh cool and uh it was for seth's wedding i think the cartoonist mm-hmm. so they had a panel with all the people who were guests. It was like David, uh, not David, uh, uh, Daniel Klaus mm. and uh, Ivan Brunetti, mm. Adrian Tomine, I think. Adrian Tomine? Yeah, yeah Adrian yeah. Tomine and uh, um, lot, oh, who, Chris Ware, mm. um, Chester Brown, I think, and, mm. and maybe Seth too. So it was like a powerhouse of. Uh, Sad white guys. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it was amazing. And I remember meeting Ivan Brunetti because I'd just seen that comic book. He did Ha. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, I thought, you know, it's not something that's necessarily aged uh, in a way where society would accept it in any manner. Right. But I asked him because it's it's kind of proto Johnny Ryan. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know the material. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, a lot of those... Brunetti's interesting too because he like he has this one era of his career that's all like just the most right debased kind of yeah know. and then he has like issue four of Schizo which mm-hmm. even like the title Schizo is like <laughs> one of those like yeah it hasn't aged great yeah um, very nineties but then very eighties I think it's issue four where he's just doing these like really kind of simple beautiful biographies yeah. of people and like these kind of taoist comics that which is and super his cool. evolution that way is really really interesting well and he was editing these like uh 20th century comic collections i believe oh also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I mean he's clearly a schooled person and when i was uh at the sort of signing part of it where i got uh daniel klaus to sign to young nick pussy mm. to i don't know that my friends like damn pussy so yeah yeah i like <laughs> But I asked Brunetti, I said, how much of your work is based out of uh, shame? And he said, all of it. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the, the case for a lot of cartoonists. Yeah, I think it's a case for a lot of uh, male artists, yeah. if not female. But I mean, you know, uh, yeah, cartoon. But you didn't go in a, um, what's the word? Like a literally personal direct, like the autobiographical uh, direction. As far as I know, did you did your earlier work have that uh, um, element to it i th- it's all kind of rooted in some amount of autobiography I, but I, I, yeah um in my earlier work uh, i had a harder time masking that where mm. and I, I would frequently write more like direct stand-ins for myself yeah and now i do that less i, I think a lot about how like um everyone when people think about peanuts everyone yeah. assumes schultz was just 
always writing Charlie Brown as himself. But yeah. like really every character was just a little different aspect of himself. Yeah. And like Snoopy was his exuberance and Linus was this other kind mm-hmm. of contemplative version and Lucy was his anger or whatever. Right. And I think about that more. Franklin was his <laughs> Was Franklin, I already forget. Was Franklin like the super young one? Like no, baby? Franklin was the uh, African American kid who was introduced pretty early on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it, yeah, it doesn't feel right. Franklin was was uh, his. <laughs> what was Franklin's personality? Yeah, Pigpen was his. Uh... I think that it starts to get thin as you get to like the side <laughs> characters. You know, I like to get caught up. Like Joe, Joe that... Cool was his. Or... <laughs> yeah, right, the Red Baron. Yeah. was his uh, wish to have been in world war one yeah. is the fact he just always felt like uh he wished he'd wished he hadn't had that bum leg i don't know if he had a bum leg but uh also chip kid was at that uh that panel oh yeah he was the moderator yeah but um uh yeah that's that's a great way to do it i think where you just sort of open up from the autobiographical thing and uh, i am pretty fascinated by uh the self-obsessed uh you know self-chronicling autobiographical uh cartoonist like joe matt mm. or uh it's chester, chester brown would yeah fall in that category and uh um is julie doucette seems like she does work yeah, like that absolutely and, yeah. and uh because i think it interests me a lot because it it definitely has to do with self-obsession and of course the i think that superficial definition of like narcissism or something mm. but it tends to be something that reveals something kind of great when it works it mm-hmm. reveals something greater about everyone you know mm-hmm. and uh so like doing self-observation and self-examination somewhat properly yeah you know do, do you yeah i that? i agree like and sometimes when like there's some amount of work that just feel like diaristic work that like might be good or might be bad but um can feel perfunctory mm-hmm. or yeah. just like someone spilling their guts or whatever and when you come across work that um uh is like transcends that in this revelatory in some new way or some unpredictable mm-hmm. way like uh um this car- uh pretty young cartoonist uh, laura lanis who okay. has done a few books over the past few years uh, she just uh, two or three years ago, did um, an autobiographical comic called know, like My Entire Life Floating in the Hudson, maybe. It's like a long title, like, yeah. Floating in the Hudson is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that work was great. And it had an aspect of... Uh, uh, it was so um, disarming and candid that it, it did feel like one of those comics that like you read and think, oh, like people in your life might read this and get like pissed off at you, which yeah. is thrilling. Mm-hmm. But um, I think when it's it's also I like it when it's disarming in a way that it feels like someone is just like sharing an inside joke with you. Yeah, and, uh, I, I really like that feeling, and it's really rare. But when it, you come across it, it's great, you know. And and uh, do, you know, it it did it feel like a somewhat, if not tender, but like a sensitive treatment of the people in there in, who were in their life. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I like um, not having been in the comic. I don't know yeah. if I'd read that and be like, you know mad i don't i don't care i don't know them but um have you been represented before in a comic by others yeah like, yeah yeah sometimes mostly positively but like uh i don't know i've dated um like writers and like my vocation so sometimes <laughs> i've been in relationships You've dated with, vocationally you know yeah, yeah like and um there's like that weird thing where both 
people know like oh, i'm gonna see myself like good or bad i'm gonna see myself in some art of yours at some point down the road right and it's yeah. like a little weird yeah, I mean, it certainly always comes out, you know, sometimes when it happens in that literal manner, uh, I've, I've felt uncomfortable, yeah. you know, but uh, I don't know if that's an act, like, I don't think that it's that simple, you know, mm -hmm. that's what I try to remember is like, just because you personally have your story that you value and almost place value on. It doesn't mean that someone can't tell when they're in that, you know, can't give their side of yeah. you, you yeah. know, what they experienced with you. So, yeah. And it's like a thing, too, where like if both parties are like fairly thoughtful people, mm -hmm. you can even if there's like some amount of disagreement or something or tension mm -hmm. with, with that, uh, like you, you can sort of assume that they will act thoughtfully and not suddenly turn into some asshole out of nowhere right you know? um yeah i watched a neil simon movie yesterday where called uh only when it laugh only when i laugh mm. or something and uh marcia mason was in it and she plays an actress and the her ex-lover says i wrote a play about what we went through for a year and a half she and she she she, she relapses alcoholically because of that so okay. You gotta be careful. <laughs> what if I do a podcast after this podcast where it's like I do like I do this, but just between me, like I do your voice and hmm. I but I'm like You're recreating it. I'm recreating it. Yeah. And I'm saying slightly different things. Hmm. Would that be comfortable? I guess it depends. Maybe you make me sound better. <laughs> I don't like know. a more eloquent version of myself. You're pretty eloquent. Okay. Good. I would say I'm less eloquent. You sound good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, that's nice of you to say. I'm flattered and, and stunned okay. <laughs> by this turn of events. Actually, you know, I, I really, I, I'm so funny with people who I think are talented where I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I can't even handle you, you know? And I, I think what you do is great. Maybe you have the same thing since you, I, I think sometimes when you start being impressed at a very young age, that can lead to just feeling that impressed like when you're next to someone you've known for like five years but oh, yeah. you're you know like uh uh i can't really explain it you know I have, I have a thing where i sometimes forget that a lot of my friend group is like are all my favorite artists yeah and i like sometimes take it for granted because mm -hmm. i'm like oh cool new work from my buddy and then i'll sit down with it and be floored by it yeah and kind of get that weird feeling of awe and yeah like, oh right like i get to actually like hang out with my favorite artist in the world or like my favorite musicians or whoever my favorite writers mm -hmm. and it's like a it is a cool weird. thing yeah yeah i mean i wonder if it's uh less of a funny you know coincidence and just kind of the byproduct of a dedicated interest in something mm -hmm. you know and and try you know trying to further the story of a pursuit if that makes sense like mm -hmm. i like punk music okay now i'm making punk music and so i'm sort of part of this story you yeah. know or oh i love the harrowing pursuit of stand-up comedy the brick wall brotherhood. the brick wall <laughs> brotherhood of the brick wall that's yeah. a little it's a little tom sharpling reference yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh brotherhood of the brick wall yeah now here i am 
with Rickle and uh, Day. You're just commu doors. communicating with something bigger than yourself. <laughs> Man, when you go to the comedy store, the spirits whisper in your ear mm -hmm. and you feel terrible. You have to go <laughs> yeah. immediately. That sounds about right. There, Do you was, have, there was like a bathroom and at a store I liked a lot called like the Comics Experience in mm -hmm. San Francisco. Like really nice owner, but they make all the cartoonists draw in the bathroom after. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, everyone's just drawing like gross out drawings. Mm -hmm. so I do a little thing of myself taking a shit. And nice. Like, okay. And you feel really gross. Like this is an old <laughs> tradition. And I, I think they actually got rid of it because a few female cartoonists were like, look, I'm sick of both going to the washroom and seeing just like the filthiest, stupid, like male cartoonist idea of like something transgressive and, like, yeah i don't really appreciate like we're about to year 100 to of this yeah so just like peel off much the more plaster or something yeah and i think they did but that was one of those things that like did feel like oh great like this is like an aspect of cartooning history i don't want to feel in yeah. dialogue with you know i kind of saw that in uh this theater called Lyric Hyperion in, in LA where, yeah, there was a wall with a bunch of people's writing on it, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't disgusting. It's just, but those walls and stuff, it's, it's slippery slope. Yeah. You know, I've got my, this is disgusting. My signed cast from when I broke my oh arm my in, in, in Brutal Nights. That's crazy. And, uh, who else? Where did, uh, she didn't sign her name, but she wrote, what did she write? Um, I got car with wings, that drawing. Car with wings? Yeah. Oh, nice cast, Dick. Love, Sarah S. Oh, Sarah Silverman. Loving. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's like a loving little yeah. thing you have. She yeah. was very nice. Mm -hmm. And and then I got Todd Berry started trying to write something. And okay. Then he scratched it out. Do you know the comedian Todd Perry? I know. I... He uh, talks kind of like this. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a little guy. Yeah. And uh, great guy. Mm. And uh, yeah, but Todd, <laughs> he got gun shy when I asked him to. <laughs> can't put someone on the spot like that. I know, right? Yeah. You really can't. It's on my cast. Yeah. Black flag bars. Does but... that like, smell insane? No, it smells normal. You can smell it. Oh yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it doesn't smell like weird skin from ten years ago. No, medical grade. This part might the inside part. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. see, there's like there's goo, still like stains. Goo stains. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you guys join the Patreon, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> is that like tiered content? Like yeah, ten dollars one. One available. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I really do want to get rid of it, but I don't know if I want to get rid of it. Yeah, hold on to it. Let's put it in a drawer with a bunch of like old keys and stuff. And then write the uh, will. Yeah. immediately that's yeah the, the writers union of canada has like a really helpful guide on how to create a will and make sure like when people are digging around your stuff they're like we'll save these like genius papers mm -hmm. and like yeah throw away the uh the dirty cast or whatever right. or not or vice versa whatever you want right we'll keep the dirty cast and throw away the genius papers yeah but i was super stoked to get that in the mail i was like this is like all i've ever wanted to read is about like, the guide to will making it's like what's going to happen when i die do you think about mortality a lot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why? Uh, You're very comes, young. It comes up in my work a lot. I mean, I was like... Uh, I feel like I'm in a dream state reading some of your work. Mm. It seems like it's a, so much about transitions. Yeah. I think a lot of it, too, is... Uh, 
for a large chunk of my life, I was like super depressed and self-destructive mm-hmm. and definitely didn't expect to live past a certain age. And then wow. at some point I realized like, oh, great. I'm like, I have coping mechanisms now. I was guess that, I'm just going to uh-huh. let it go on and on. And um, I think that change was reflected in my work at that, that shift or at some point it uh-huh. became about the, how uh, uh, difficult and annoying just sustaining stuff is rather than it being like fleeting or something like that. Sustaining uh, good things or bad things? Um, just, I guess, good. How light, sustaining your life is kind of annoying. Yeah, like yeah. just being like, like, well, the end goal isn't to not be depressed because like you can't right. just be happy. That's like not a realistic goal. <laughs> it's just to like keep, keep uh, adjusting and shifting the gears a little bit like you have some new you hit Uh some new low and you realize you're resilient enough to like tweak the knobs just enough to like keep going and like that really sucks to think about like oh great i'm just on this pendulum forever so i think at some Uh point that that attitude change is reflected in my work accepting the pendulum yeah yeah that's really interesting i mean i definitely want to talk more about this like um so you when would you say that that shift occurred and what was happening? Well, when would you say that shift occurred? Um, I don't know how like cognizant I was of it, but like at some point in my mid twenties, uh-huh. it was about when I was no longer like, like a threat to myself or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, Good for you. Yeah. That's early for some people. Yeah. I mean, it helped. I had a therapist and like had a mm-hmm. good support system of friends who weren't like total assholes to me and stuff. So mm-hmm. like, that stuff helped. But, um, oh, yeah. When you're in a place like Ottawa and you're in a, you're a punk, it's like you got to really take your friends, uh, no matter what. Oh, or, yeah. You know, well, this is Toronto at this yeah. point already. Toronto already would even be worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Like, I, it'd be hard to pinpoint the exact comic that shift is reflected in but you mm-hmm. can just i think if i look back on my work i can see that gradually and the themes start shifting to being about like like uh ideas of of recovery and mm-hmm. relapse and all these things and yeah uh, like that change starts well, showing up. brad almost is something that seems to be about like the sort of end result of even uh a successful like a uh, relatively safe self-destructive attitude it's mm. still kind of uh uh, leaves you almost empty and alive, yeah. you know, although that like, not that the protagonist in that has is empty, but kind of right. Yeah. Once she, like, she spends a lot of that book kind of longing for the old sense of self distress and like, yeah, that's almost inaccessible to her now that mm-hmm. like old recklessness. Um, a yeah. lot of that's about like, yeah, being a mid career artist, which is like, and you feel you're mid career now at 32 i'm approaching it i think about it more i guess so because i don't have like the 64 that's when your hands start to really shake the turnaround is like so fast now like i'll go to a comic con now and like the 23 year olds there like seem i'm like really thrilled for them and they just seem like on a totally different wavelength than me and i'm really excited i'm excited that i no longer feel like caught up in everything new you know i think it's like a a gradual thing where it's it's healthy and natural Uh to feel like a few things are a little out of touch to you yeah. as, as you keep getting a bit older. Like uh-huh. I never want to be too out of touch and just like hopeless and clueless, but I like, I like feeling that shift of like, okay. Yeah. Comfortable that, in what you're doing yeah, without like, looking. And the other people, the new crop has this like crazy wild energy yeah. and making stuff that like, like I, I kind of am excited at the prospect of like encountering art when I'm like 65 
and grappling with how hard it is to understand because right. it's like on some totally new thing. Like that's really exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, did you do you hear from uh, who who is your oldest fan? My oldest fan? I don't know. Probably like some friend, you know. Like I said, like the, yeah, some my, friend uh, named R. Crumb. Like uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Speaking of autobiographical comics, I mean, he's pretty much you know yeah one of the main dudes of it he's become uh he's there's been i guess every five or ten years there's some new cycle of arguments about crumb that happened in the comics world about his behavior and what he re- what he represents in his comics or about his general skill um i think most people like like some people would disagree about his skill as a, a writer like I'm, oh I'm yeah not a, writer. I'm not a crumb fan but like undeniably his technical virtuosity is like that's mostly else. what I admire about R. Crumb. Yeah, you know, but uh, you know, he's like been a con. Like I'm, I've never, I've never been a big fan, but he's also ne- never been. I think I just skipped the little micro generation of cartoonists where like not being a fan of Crumb felt like you had to take a stand on him. Yeah, and for me, it could just be like ignored safely. Um, yeah, but, but every five or ten years, like I, I feel like he enters the discussion again, and and right now, certainly in comics, people are like going through the process of reevaluating his, his legacy, which I, which I like to see, like, even if I'm not yeah. um, that engaged in that dialogue. But. Right. I mean, are, are there, do, do in comics, it would seem like the um, problematic aspects of entire generations of graphic novelists, especially because uh, they have, they don't have the recourse of making stuff for teens and children, mm-hmm. you know, like they are, so, you know, if you're Jack Kirby, no one's going to be like, oh, it's so perverted, that story where Marvel X happens to Marvel Girl. Sure. You know, Although but, that, all that work has plenty of stuff that's Absolutely, absolutely. Well. I mean, I'm not, but, but, but that's aged horribly in the same way that, you know, an episode of Leave it to Beaver where, oh, sure. where something weird happens, mm-hmm. you know, has aged horribly where, you know, it, it, it's like work that's, less about the creator and more about the time i think and more about you know whereas something like dave sim <laughs> dave sim would be my first go-to example yeah. who did the serendus books and um was a a darling of of self-publishing mm-hmm. and uh used to show up in cons to a limo in the old days that's amazing <laughs> and you know uh, uh um encycle being a kind of encyclopedic brain who did insane serialized work mm-hmm. and eventually became this kind of mad uh man's rights misogynist yeah rights, I guess, uh yeah. And, and uh pretty much lost all of his uh fan base you know yeah and he's somewhere in kitchener waterloo doing his thing now yeah you know? i mean even explaining cerebus like so much <laughs> of it was like yeah like the first half is a conan the barbarian parody and then it becomes like a thing about British Parliament, and then he loses his mind and starts railing against women. Yeah, so it's kind of like if Blackadder uh, was taken over by you know uh, Owen Benjamin or Rush V. Yeah, it's yeah <laughs> in the middle of it. I like right now that we're in a place where we can like reevaluate or not re- create our own comics canon, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like uh, I, I don't, I I appreciate the work that people put into like establishing a comics canon because yeah. like comics was a big joke and no one took it seriously, and it took like some work of historians and experts to like mm-hmm. try to point to key works but like a lot of the it's sort of like punk where a lot of like the actual really exciting and important part points were like not necessarily like 
Milt Kniff, right. Jack Kirby, Crumb, whoever. I, I, I love Kirby, you know, but like, mm-hmm. I love some of the canonized cartoonists, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of the really exciting one was like, like some really weird innovative strip that kind of snuck through the cracks. So like yeah. some weird issue of a superhero comic that was like a little more personal yeah. than was expected. And like, uh-huh. like some zine someone made that inspired 10 other people in the same town to make a zine. Mm-hmm. It's the same with punk where it's like the little, it's like some seven inch that's sometimes more interesting and, and is mm-hmm. worth like uh, excavating a little more. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of like, I was actually just talking about this the other day and it was like the idea that popular acts are, not so much one band but actually represent like the collective efforts of like an entire bunch of bands Mm -hmm. or people that all influenced each other and this one just happened to have you know like nirvana just happened to have the right ingredients to become huge but Mm -hmm. they couldn't exist without i don't know daniel johnson or uh flipper or whatever you know and uh and that sounds and, and and there is a there is um what do you would you call it? A, not a streak, but like a, a strain of person mm. that gravitates, I think, to the stuff under that popular shit. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's kind of what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, things like, but there are names that I think about in comics that are people who seem like they're both of those things. Like for some reason, like Mobius is one of those names, mm. you know, like because he was very non verbal if i recall and mm-hmm. like these really interesting illustrations and will eisner but i don't know anything about will eisner i just remember being finding him interesting and seeing he was very respected i think a lot of the big cartoonists have this like will sometimes have like the work that especially now when we're, we're looking to like create legacies for people that maybe didn't have like people will go to a book you know yeah. and like it has to be like Ghost World or Jimmy Corrigan or something you can turn to as a big book. Right. Uh, I think that was actually a, a weird thing with um, Crumb was like, it's hard to just be like, here's the Crumb book that you read. <laughs> and like, like he has this, this big This is just him smelling Genesis. butts. Yeah, yeah, yeah the like, Genesis one or um, Harvey Picar, but then you're not seeing his writing, which maybe is better. I don't know, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. And um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of like really cool cartoonists where like, the stuff that they might be most known for or, or it's like most accessible is maybe not their most interesting or exciting stuff. Like yeah. Kirby's a good example where I think his best stuff is Commandy and his 2001 A Space Odyssey series, which is like I super... It, I would love to read the 2001 comic. That's amazing. It's really beautiful and it's super... It's like, you know, there's this like Kirby psychedelia stuff. Right. But um, it starts out with like, he does just a, a straightforward-ish graphic adaptation of the movie and then he has his own series where he's just like really quickly like riffing off like he'll have a baby and like an obelisk or whatever. But um, it starts to veer into this midlife crisis thing where he <laughs> he's becomes really critical of the industry he works in and the types of stories he's making. So it's and, comic books? Like, yeah. It curb, wow. And so just like, you know, 22 page installment and they're all mostly self-contained stories. And, like, that works the best. It's never been reprinted, I think, also due to licensing stuff. Yeah. And also because, like, it's nearly incomprehensible if you can't contextualize it in a certain uh-huh. way. Like, someone who sees a Marvel movie and thinks, like, I want to know the origins of this. <laughs> Passing them 2001 isn't going to satisfy any itch they have. But that's the best stuff I think he's yeah. done. Yeah. Wow. 
I, I didn't even know about that. So is it very valuable then if you pick it up? It's not like it was a pain to hunt down the issues. Yeah. And um, like it was something like uh, seven or ten bucks an issue, which mm-hmm. at the time I was collecting them was like, OK, cool. All of my resources are going into buying this 22 page comic. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, I actually I, I don't go through there aren't any back issue bins anymore so mm-hmm. i don't really have a sense to of tell you that if you are enjoying the podcast no uh, tell a friend whoa 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 uh, like the train review subscribe review it on apple Podcasts. subscribe to it there uh review it anywhere you can five stars really helps with the rating and i just want to get it out there and i want to like double triple quadruple the audience we've got some people listening and i really appreciate that but i i just could i think more would be really great and um, I'm looking forward to the second year of the podcast if you do want to support it on a more uh, monetary level in this age of capitalism uh, you can go on co-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan and give me one time support I've got some stuff on that page um, little extras that you can check out and you can go to the Patreon patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan um, I try to put up new content monthly Right now, it's just me with that operation, so sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, but you can give as much as a dollar uh, a month, and I try to do, like, two to three episodes a week, so, uh, you know, um, the free content's a lot, and I'm also putting up bonus content, so I would say it's a good deal. Anyway, I appreciate it all. We do have costs for the podcast, so anything I can do to break even and maybe make a little more is awesome. Uh, Andy, my producer, I'm really, you know, trying to get him money and, uh, we've got him a bit and, uh, we've got some patrons already and that's great, but the more the merrier. Anyway, in case you're wondering what song this is, believe it or not, I'm singing. It's Brutal Nights, Too Many Tattoos. So, uh, you know, check that out and enjoy the rest of this interview with Michael DeForge. The Beguiling has its basement. But like Dragon um, Lady Comics on College Street. I loved Street. it, yeah. Long Gone, you know? Yeah. Like, a lot of those spaces. Silver Snail. So many back issues where it's Silver Snail. Yeah. Now, like, it's Funko Pop or whatever. That's, right. like, the bread and butter of, yeah. I imagine. The world. Yeah. MCU. The MCU of uh, toys, Yeah, I guess. I'm just looking for that MCU tie-in. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you like this podcast, don't you? I do. It's really fun to do for you. Are those lyrics? Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. By the way, the music behind me is Brutal Nights, Too Many Tattoos. That was the punk band I sang in for Lord knows how long. Anyway, if you want to support this podcast financially... You can go to patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan or co-fi slash Nick Flanagan. Kofi is a way of making one-time donations and all of the money goes to the creator. Patreon, of course, has a more sophisticated situation where they take money out of the money that you give, but that's a way to support monthly. And if you do support monthly, we'll be putting up episodes without the call to action because you don't need to hear me to tell you to support on Patreon if you're already supporting on Patreon. And there will also be stand-up clips, music clips, and uh, 
more and more bonuses as I wrap my head around it. So, yes. If you enjoy it, if you consider throwing a dollar or more to my Patreon or my Ko-fi. Okay, thanks. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Michael DeForge. Uh, but what was like... Eh, it's perfect because uh, this will probably be interrupted. But when you were saying like being depressed and stuff, like what, what, what were the reasons for that or and i guess you said it manifested in self-destructive behavior but like do you want to get into that at all uh yeah some of it i like address in the comics themselves like directly or indirectly like i i like um was and am like mentally ill like i struggle with depression routinely Mm -hmm. um and uh like a lot of my early comics my decision to like really like bunker down on it Mm -hmm. uh came after a suicide attempt my first suicide attempt and uh like it but then like processing that stuff in all the cliched ways where it's like oh, i'm finally addressing these things by like hashing it out on the page yeah like, did end up really helping wow and uh it's weird because like i sometimes will talk about my work and think like well i don't want it to just be a therapy session yeah but early on it was really just a big therapy session so. right yeah i kind of had that too writing the brutal nights lyrics you know mm-hmm. which were about uh you know, not having money or, you know, living alone and being lonely or, you know, being depressed and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having anxiety or all of that stuff. And it was cathartic, but I also felt like it was kind of running up. For me, it was like a hamster wheel that was actually outside of getting better, you mm-hmm. know, partly because being in a band very much unlike being a cartoonist is... Um, there's a lot of sort of destructive behaviors that can come right after the catharsis, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's like such a heavy thing to perform as a lead singer, you know, like in terms of sweating, in terms of like feeling drained afterwards, feeling like, and that's good, but you kind of immediately, I would always immediately have to like blind myself or, or, you know, like do something that was, uh, I don't even know either, either sustain that feeling somehow Mm -hmm. through like after the fact through drinking or whatever or uh isolate or or something you know so yeah i think it's a thing too where like um there are certain mediums where you can like sustain an energy and Mm -hmm. like require a certain energy and like Mm -hmm. yeah if you're like singing and i think the same with like painting or Mm -hmm. dancing i I don't know much about dance but i assume (laughs) uh, where you can like do it in a fit of rage or exuberance or something Mm -hmm. and like there are other things that are like cartooning usually or animation or something with the i certain types of sculpture etching Mm -hmm. where like it requires uh, a rigor and um it's just you can't sustain that energy because it's too finicky you know yeah it's, so. a, it's a completely different expression of it, it it's like it's it's more like you know the act of the writing the real act of writing mm-hmm. which is like solving problems and way you know the dialogue is like the last thing you need to worry about you know yeah and so, it, it forces some distance because uh-huh. of that like yeah yeah i would say that you know one of the things that um worries me about the time is people who might think oh well artistic creative types are which is also a misnomer because almost everybody is an artistic creative type on some level yeah um you know are more prone to depression um i think everyone's more 
as prone to depression as the next. Yeah, you know? like, I think a big issue right now is just so there's so few resources provided, and it's, it drives me. I talk about humane. that a lot on this podcast, actually, because mm. um, yeah, I've also had a lot of depression, anxiety in my life, but it's been very hard to kind of. It was very hard to pin down why, besides the fact that I was a, a thirsty creative person who thought oh, I can make a living doing this. Mm -hmm. And it's been like such a <laughs> fucking struggle, yeah. you know, the whole time. But not the worst, just, you know, tricky. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not really... It's a question of self-esteem, always feeling a bit uh, less than or whatever and incapable and, you know, the imposter syndrome thing and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And then in my mid thirties, as everyone listening who has listened to this podcast since day one, which is almost a year ago, uh, it was ADHD diagnosis at like uh, 34. Okay. So childhood, not having that diagnosis, you know, and so mm -hmm. not having an explanation of that, you know, and, and, uh, it's, uh, it was, it's, it's, you can't get that diagnosis for free as an adult. The amount of people that might have had an undiagnosed learning disability or personality disorder, whatever they call it. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're dealing with whatever the aspect of that is. And then you're dealing with like layer upon layer of essentially these like mini traumas, especially if you're of just discouragement mm -hmm. or, you know, not coming through for people and, and not being able to explain why, because your, your intentions are. Uh, not necessarily pure, but good, mm -hmm. you know, like, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, and, and, and anyway, my, my point is that getting to the bottom of those resources, you know, and when I got diagnosed with the ADHD, the, the people at the ADHD, it sounds like your, your grandfather talking about your diagnosis. <laughs> when you got diagnosed with the ADHD, I said, we're going to have to put him, we're going to have to euthanize him. Yeah. I go, I can't have that in my whole house. He lives with me. <laughs> I adopted him. Uh, I'm the guardian. I'm, my, my, grand, my mother lives here. Okay. Okay. My grandparents are dead. Sure. I didn't want to assume. <laughs> Thank you. Because why would I assume that? You don't have to assume. <laughs> Everyone has dead grandparents. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, the uh, the clinic that diagnosed me was just like, you could take drugs, you know, this drug. They really only said one drug's name. Like, mm. And then they were like, or, and you could get an ADHD, get get a light uh, ADHD coaching or whatever, which is like super duper expensive. Mm. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. And it took getting completely beaten up mentally in, a, in Los Angeles to come back and be like, okay, I'm going to do some finally do some like serious reading about ADD. And then I did. And then I was like, my mind has been uh, kind of blown up by like all of this stuff, you know, and, and a lot of stuff about, you know, trauma as such an instigator mm. of uh, a lot of what we view as like mental illness and mental health. And that I'm not trying to say that these things don't exist, but really all of this is just a label Mm -hmm. So that you can have a guide at treatment. Yeah. You know, like when it's inhumane how much of it we're just expected like to deal with ourselves. Yeah. For like, sure. 
we have our communities dismantled and resources taken away from us and mm -hmm. it, they've made it so that they it, society has made it so that like we that's a day that's a punk take that's you they. know uh <laughs> Like, but it's true. Yeah, that the only way we can address it is through like these very like medication, or we can address it as consumers, or we deal mm. with it on our own. And these root, like, not sometimes causes, sometimes aggravants, just yeah. will never get addressed. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just so complicated for people to because every generation has discomforts that the prior gener that they have to grit their teeth through mm -hmm. that the other generation may not have for whatever reason, whether it's polio or, you know, uh, these horrible wars, uh, you know, or uh, free love. Mm. Sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, like someone's sexuality being like completely not allowed, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so when the new generation actually gets to enjoy that progress, you know, I think older people kind of go, and then they go, but I, I, I'm depressed, you know, I'm unhappy. They go, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's way better. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but that's by your perspective, but by their perspective, they're still confused and they're still, I mean, I, I like that about younger people now is they, they, in the, at least in the West, they, there's a, there's a knowledge of what, they're going people are going through from a young age you yeah. know which i kind of think is cool yeah i like that we now have the vocabulary for it oh sometimes depresses me it's like great we have the vocabulary for it and we're still not having any of it addressed. i worry yeah that's the thing is like i'm so much less interested in everyone relating to each other's suffering than i am in sort of as you said, treatment options, you know, the discussion of this is what I think as a complete layperson. I just think that um, multiple approaches mm -hmm. is is the way. Yeah. You know, so it's if you need to be on medicine, great. Mm -hmm. But maybe you also need to be meditating, maybe or doing some kind of mindful thing or exercising. Maybe you need to be expressing yourself through journaling or illustrating or doing comedy or whatever. And don't be afraid to do all of those things if that's what you need, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's why we need to stop people having jobs. Because we don't have time to do <laughs> jobs if we have to do all of this self-care. I mean, that's not a big, like, you're joking. No, I'm it's not like, fucking yeah, joking. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I do actually think that's the value of relating to each other about it, is yeah. that... When we have enough people being like, oh, you feel this way too? Yeah. I also feel like shit. The yeah. reason I feel like shit or like the thing that's not helping is that we're all getting underpaid <laughs> by our horrible boss or like we're giving up X a percentage of the money we make to our shitty landlord just to survive. Like yeah. whatever it is um, and all these things. Like ever read like Mark Fisher? He did a... Uh, I don't think so. Um, he wrote a book called Capitalist Realism. No, and, I um, read uh, Rucker Bregman recently, the... Uh... Uh, was it called uh, idealism for realists so okay. very similar yeah name. yeah but he, he talks a lot about like like we're all experiencing these symptoms of living under this like really shitty system and mm -hmm. we um uh have been led to not expect more and yeah. led to believe like this is all there is yeah and a, a lot of and it's sad because ultimately he did kill himself oh um, god but uh, reading it, it was like, it really, reading it for, when I read it for the first time, it really clicked as a, like, this person understands, mm -hmm. um, that recognition of like this person's relationship with mental illness. Like I, um, I understand yeah. because he's 
the way he's writing about it is like this is a thing we're all experiencing and experiencing in different ways Mm -hmm. it's getting worse for most of us and the only way we can change it is by like actually examining these systems that are stopping us from getting better yeah i mean that's the thing is is you know i'm not i i think that the setup of our society is definitely seeing it's uh the the se- bursting at the seam apart at the seams a little bit like with the sort of straight up capitalism at the expense of every other country that is like a banana republic or a you know like has any loopholes mm. the powerful capitalist countries will take advantage of them so that they can you know sustain what they're doing but uh yeah i i mean that's but but the idea of like what's better yeah you know it's a really hard thing for people to wrap their heads around when new toys, you know, new sort of in the moment comforts podcasts are being offered. You You're know, sedating the masses. Yeah. And the sedation. <laughs> yeah. How sedate are you, baby? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's uh, and, and then the other question becomes, well, OK. I think reversion to like other systems wouldn't probably not work, you know, like, so people talk about socialization, which is probably to me a really great idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea is if you're the United States or China or some country with like, you know, a hundred million people, it's like, how is that done in a successful manner? Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm a socialist and I have all these, it's a weird thing to like have all these ideas of, I don't, I think a, a lot of people are, it's exciting and demoralizing because it's very hard to picture what a post-capitalist world is going to exactly look like. Mm-hmm. Same, it's like, it's hard to imagine what, I, I want a world without borders, without mm-hmm. prisons, without cops. It's hard yeah. to exactly know what that looks like, but I think it's also an exciting time because people realize like how unsustainable a lot of these institutions are. Yeah. And we're now attempting to imagine something else but the pushback is very strong oh yeah i mean it's gonna be probably really tough and i imagine i'll die before (laughs) see what happens. i don't want you (laughs) i want you to not be one of these people who go oh he has such an understanding of the human condition that he uh, had to go inside of the water right i just mean like i'd love to live to see the glorious that's what i want in utopia but yeah but i uh you know who knows but I, I think it's an, an exciting time right now just because people are actually, there is that like the, the cliche of like, it, it's uh, easier to imagine the end of the world uh, rather than the end of <laughs> capitalism. And I, think, I was talking to a 23 year old guy who said something that was very similar to that. I think people are right now like saying like, well, actually let's, let's ditch this idea that I don't want to see the end of the world. Like people are actually trying also, to Also people need to remember that every generation has had and that is an element. Like yeah. the world's going to end. Can you imagine in the 1940s like people just being like, "Well, I guess this is it." Yeah. You know, and and uh when there's like a Ursula Le Guin quote that's like uh-huh. like it was hard to imagine a world where the divine right of kings wasn't the only thing governing exactly. it, but like Yeah. It worked. We did, you know. And like, look at can, us now. Yeah, we can do. We have podcasts now. We can be depressed and, uh, but, but control. Trying our best to control it. Uh, people used to talk. People used to dream about having a podcast. Young Werther podcasts get invited, <laughs> invented. If Young Werther had had a, a podcast, mm-hmm. well, there'd be no book. <laughs> it would be called the 
uh, management tech, the coping skills of young Ferther. A little like ads. Of, do you have ads at the beginning? I am outing myself as someone who hasn't listened to the podcast. Oh. <laughs> do you have ads Many at the of my guests do not listen to the podcast. Do you do like a... Uh, no, I do sort of a... Uh, like an indie.com. More like... If you guys want to contribute to the Patreon or my Kofi page, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, self advertisements. Yeah. Uh, but what's your new uh, what's your new thing gonna be? It's a science fiction comic that um, it's sort of a dystopian future comic, mm-hmm. but um, it's hopefully funny. I think I've, I've been thinking about it as a comedy, and I can't tell if someone will read it and think it's funny. Or I think your yeah. stuff's funny. I, I like, like it. Some know. people just think it's like sad or whatever. Well, but I want it to be funny. Too. I mean, I don't think of it as sad exactly. I mean, I think that there's elements of you know I- emotional stuff, but I, 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 there's something about comics when the dialogue is like somewhat sparse, which it feels like it's in words. There's like a bit of an economy of words mm-hmm. at least, and uh, where I almost it's like the go-to feeling is that you're reading something slightly profound somehow. I don't know why graphic novels have that effect on me, but I'm just mm-hmm. like oh, I'm reading something important and I might not understand the emotional meaning of this panel where an animal goes, where are you? Right. <laughs> you know, go, guys, where did you go? You know, and, yeah. and um, there's something about that. I mean, I maybe it's just the backgrounds, especially in Richard's Valley, there's so many blacks and, mm. and you know, a, a sort of uh, an animal that actually is generally reminiscent of a Mark Bell kind of an animal. Mm. Uh being sad about not being in a cult anymore yeah was that inspired by any uh specific things was it because it's set in toronto yeah toronto is actually a hotbed of self-help and cults yeah you know it went since the 60s I, i threw in a lot of references to like um both different like cults or communes or sort of yeah, i shouldn't say cults or... like like minor religions yeah and, yeah and you know cult cults some also and, yeah yeah you know and well and... like there, there's one group in particular that used to operate in the annex called um therafields that some members like its legacy is sort of a mixed bag like mm-hmm. some members like do characterize their experience there as like an experience with a cult but they mm-hmm. were um they had all these like therapeutic group homes mm-hmm. uh, about 26 of them all around the annex from the mm-hmm. 70s to 80s and like uh reading about that experience did inform not the actual cult part of Richard's Valley, but mm-hmm. some of the like post cult, like trying yeah. to start something new and like a snake tries to set up some weird homes where everyone's <laughs> living together. And it like, like uh, that sort of thing, like those attempts that sometimes mm-hmm. end in disaster, Therafield sort of did. Yeah, like, Rochdale, which was a housing, yeah. uh, it actually wasn't free. I was very interested. There's a really interesting thing about Rochdale in, uh, on YouTube, where it's a guy who wrote a book about it who lived there. And my father was a, a actually a janitor at Rochdale, which was, really? yeah, uh, it was communal, sort of communal living. I mean, it's hard to explain because it was essentially started because there was a lack of student housing mm. in the 1960s in Toronto and there were schools. So there was nowhere for these people to live. So they basically, someone got cheap, developed like a high rise uh, and they made it a fake school. Yeah. You know, you had to do these fake tests and you could just live there. Yeah. You know, I know they fundraise too, by like printing these beautiful fake degrees that like yeah. some employer wouldn't necessarily know. Yeah. It's not a real 
not an accredited school. So it wasn't exactly a cult, but it was a place where people lived in somewhat communal styles and organized crime was mm -hmm. part of it with the bikers and, you know, addicts. And it, it's, uh, it sounded like it became dystopian pretty fast. Yeah. Well, like, I, I think what's, what's so interesting with Rochdale is like the tragedy of how it turned out and like if it could have sustained itself or figured, corrected some of like the, you know, like having bikers the cops on one of the floors or whatever <laughs> does not sound ideal and like yeah. imagining like whether it could have corrected that sort of thing as if it was able to keep going without interference from actual cops mm -hmm. um and thinking of the legacies and like the things that did stick around from it like the um hassle free clinic yeah uh, rochdale project like tendrils from like different publishing houses in toronto and oh, notable yeah, sure. members coach house and yeah. um, you know nancy and uh yeah, I mean, this area that I grew up in is is an interesting uh, part of Toronto for sure. It's uh, it's very it's historically interesting, and uh, and yet it's uh, you know maybe one day. And now it's like baby boomers who are the people like protecting its legacy. So yeah. it's kind of a funny thing. It's like there's it's very complicated. But your book, your new one, is a science fiction story, far away from Toronto and cults. Yeah. But still about a city. I guess I was like aspects of like cities and their increasingly inhumane conditions and the function of cities. And it's still a bit about that. But it's, it's the heart of it is like a girlfriend trying to get her girlfriend back. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being super vague because yeah. um, you want to surprise people. I guess. And it's going to be out on Drawn and Quarterly. Yeah. Uh, it's called A Familiar Face. Good title. Hopefully next year. Thank Where you. do you come up with your titles? That one was a labored one. I, mm. It had a lot of like false starts. False names. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I just come up with it on the spot, but this one I had like no working title for like basically until D and Q was like, we're soliciting the book in three days. You need to give us a title. Right. Yeah. That's cool. You were under pressure and you just you popped it out. Yeah. I crowdsourced it to my friends, not an actual crowd. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's a good way to do it i've definitely uh had some close calls with uh bad names for things and my mm. friends were like do not do this under any circumstances i mean wrong hole is a perfect band name wrong hole it's a perfect bad good band name you yeah know? especially like our it was definitely not something we're like we're gonna name it after putting it into butt instead of the thing or putting it in the thing instead of the butt yeah uh but um no it was like the idea that we were weird had this weird synth and it was just so everything about the band was so off that mm -hmm. it was like this is the wrong hole to go down right. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. so because so, if you look up our name it, it doesn't immediately bring our band sure. <laughs> up on google yeah hopefully one day you'll get that search rhythm or search algorithm search engine <laughs> search result seo yeah yeah whatever seo called. together yeah how's your patreon going going good uh every passing month i lose money i think that's just sort of the way patreon's been going right now oh <laughs> really I'm, I'm very grateful to all the subscribers and like um i'm quite happy with the, the amount of people who subscribe to it it's, how much does that help sustain what you're doing it comes close to paying my rent which is yeah. like a huge it's yeah. been huge especially I, I had a day job in animation and I, uh i right no longer have that oh job. my god i forgot about that and uh, you the, were on adventure time weren't you yeah for about um almost seven years so having this has been like wow. a huge help in supplementing that income so yeah i mean that's like funny when someone's like i'm so glad to be done with my 
animation job on uh, Adventure Time. Oh, I was sad to be done. Yeah, I like yeah. I like that. Game. No, it's yeah. a cool show, and I mean, they're all very interesting uh, people. The Pendleton Ward seems very interesting. And, yeah, you know, it it gained a life of its own. That's for sure. And so you enjoyed doing that. I did. Yeah. Um, I liked. I don't work well with others, but that was the exact circumstances where, like, I could just kind of do things in service of this larger vision that I trusted mm -hmm. and uh, I worked for other cartoonists who's like yeah. what I loved and um, having them I know because I, I didn't go to art school I didn't have that like anyone ever correcting my work or mm -hmm. critiquing my work and mm -hmm. that was the closest I came was like people going over what I produced for them and people I really respected and like I learned a lot from so from you were job. getting feedback that even when it could have been negative was truly constructive yeah because again awesome. it was like in service of this wider vision that I trusted. So that's great. Yeah, that's cool. What did what did you learn uh, from that experience? The big deadlines. One, deadlines. <laughs> getting into that was like like I you know I think I had an okay work ethic before, but yeah, in television, the pretty rigorous. Yeah, but um, no, you got to get those in ideally before the deadline. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the the one of the big ones was just um. Uh, it made me a much more elegant cartoonist or yeah. made me learn to simplify my work. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, the most helpful notes would always be when I would accomplish something in like 50 lines and then someone would go over it and do the same, a much better drawing in just like 13 lines. When you say lines, what do you mean? Just like the actual details. Like, mm. oh, this like wrinkle in someone's clothing. Right. You don't need all that stuff. Just need for, three lines. Yeah, just like showing how I could do something in just a small gesture. Uh -huh. rather than a, a more labored kind yeah. of yeah which is uh i've definitely i definitely saw that i haven't read a lot of your earlier work i mean really i was like oh i've been meaning to read deforge for so long and this fact that i really want to talk to him because we get along and you know i think there's there is an appreciation mm -hmm. you know i definitely appreciate what you do and uh so i probably only saw stuff that was from the post adventure time style you know and yeah. it does have that Sparseness is the wrong word, but just, you know, kind of like a simplicity mm -hmm. to the illustrations. And that's what's cool about Living Richards Valley, because essentially you uh, occasionally you kind of do that um, one page, like a splash page kind of thing with lots of uh, not line work, but like charcoal looking oh, like yeah, dark sort of noise. And, yeah, yeah, noise and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the and the humans are a bit more detailed yeah. in, in the, that as well. So I think that getting into that kind of um i'm an art teacher now so <laughs> getting into that kind of not contra you know like not like two different things <laughs> i think there's a thing with thank you where i'll i'll improve um there i think there's a thing with cartoonists that's common where like as you get more confident mm -hmm. you have less to prove and mm -hmm. you can just start being comfortable doing things in just like a few small gestures. Yeah. And uh, I, I am very conscious of like, like in my old work, I was tr like just a try hard because I mm -hmm. had something to prove. And I was like, yeah. I want you to see that I can draw the fuck out of anything. And mm -hmm. that I will render every leaf on this tree and show off this like virtuosic thing. I just learned how to do. And then as you keep going, you simplify and you like a lot of cartoonists, like like Seth or Chester Brown or even superhero cartoonists, you can see mm -hmm. that arc of them getting more confident. Yeah. And simplifying their drawings. Yeah. And I really try to like, I, I notice I'll, I'll do it really simple. And then I have like 
a limit where I'm like, okay, every 10 pages I have to show that I I still know how to draw and I'll do something <laughs> kind of show-offy. Right. Like slip it in there like, look, yeah. y'all, yeah. I still actually do, I can do something right. kind of cool. You're and then Lot's wife like, looking back at uh, Salem. Sure. Is that yeah. what I don't, I don't know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know either. Mm. I should probably get going now. Cool. I, normally I do a uh, show and tell, but maybe when the book comes out, you can come on and uh, we'll, we'll put the word out or something. Sure, yeah, do yeah. like a, a little uh, promo interview for that. Yeah. And all the other books are still hopefully available. I think they're all I hope around. So, yeah. Yeah. And get them from your local library. Yeah. And follow on Twitter at Michael Detroit. Yeah, that's me. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Did you have fun? Yeah. Do you feel better? I I don't feel worse. Great. I, don't feel, I won't say I feel better. I feel the same. Yeah, I'm not upset though. I'm I, not worse. I don't feel, I feel better personally. Okay. I feel better. Yeah. You know, the medication is probably kicking in. That's what this, this is. morning. You yeah. timed it with the injury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the mushrooms <laughs> kicked in at the right time. Yeah. Though. All right. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Plan again. Weekly. Oh, man. Nick Flanagan Weekly.